You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and it's Friday. Thank God the week is almost over. It's a weekend without club football, which is always a bit of a drag, I've got to say. But I guess given the way things are going from an Arsenal perspective right now, it's probably a bit of a welcomed break, an opportunity to recharge our batteries and enjoy a weekend with our friends and family without the stresses that Arsenal Football Club inevitably bring. Uh, big hello to everybody in the chat box. Hope you're all well. Um, good morning if you're uh, watching us in a part of the world where it's the morning. Good evening if it's the evening. Uh, and of course, a big hello to those of you who will be watching or listening to this back a little bit later on. On today's show, we're going to be discussing the links with Serge Aurier, I think my feelings on that are clear by the title of this episode, but we'll get into that in a little bit more detail. And we're also going to be rounding up how some of our Gunners got on during their international games last night. So um, before we dive into it, though, let's say a few more hellos specifically, because there's a few of you joining us from various different parts of the world, which is fantastic. I want to say a big hello to James Jenkins, who says, hello, Harry, and chat from Ohio in the US. Harry, what you got for us this morning? Not a great deal of positive stuff, I've got to say. Uh, big hello to Snipe Dot, to Felipe, to uh, Matt, to Hardik, to all of you uh, in the chat box. I hope you're all well. Right, let's uh, kick off then. Let's dive into that Serge Aurier story. Now, of course, Serge Aurier had his contract terminated by mutual consent with Tottenham Hotspur just last week. However, he is being linked with a move to Arsenal. And my response when I heard this, and, and a mate of mine sent me a text, um, you know, at, at the time with, uh, of this report kind of coming out, and he shared it with me, and my response was literally, no thanks. I thought we were trying our best to move on the dead weight at Arsenal Football Club. I thought that we were trying to cut out those individual mistakes and Serge Aurier is an accident waiting to happen. Has he had good games in a Tottenham shirt? Yeah, he has. There's been some games where you've looked at him and gone, why the hell are Spurs in the market for another right back? He looks sensational. But you know, Serge Aurier, similar to many players we've had over the years, just has that moment in him, that lapse, that brain fart that can lead to him giving away a penalty, giving away a free kick in a stupid area, making a mistake in a, a really sort of uh, dangerous position. I'm just not on board with this at all. Now, some of the reports say that Serge Aurier wants to join the club. Of course, Serge Aurier was said to be an Arsenal supporter uh, many years ago, and he was actually said to have wanted to join Arsenal prior to him actually signing for Spurs. But that doesn't mean anything. You know, just because Serge Aurier grew up liking the Arsenal doesn't mean that we should go out and sign him. When you think about, um, you know, when you think about, when you think about what Serge Aurier would bring to the team, he'd bring athleticism. We know he's very good at getting up and down the pitch. I actually think Serge Aurier can be quite impactful when getting forward. 
but it's all the negatives. It's the the stupid moments. It's the lapses in concentration. He's not a character that I think particularly fits into what we're trying to do at the moment. Uh, and as I mentioned, the calamities are just there with Serge Aurier. And you know they're never more than just around the corner, whether that be penalties, handballs, uh, giving away stupid free kicks. We, he's just not the type of player we need. And this kind of link, or, or Serge Aurier, if it is indeed his agents, kind of putting this out there to try and get something to come. This whole thing is a consequence of us as a club in recent years acting like a retirement home. We've constantly sign players from fellow London clubs who are at a point in their careers where they're at a bit of a crossroads. They're looking for a big payday, but they're also looking to stay in London where perhaps they and their families feel really settled and really at home. And and, and for me, that is all this is. It is a convenient link for Serge Aurier to come to Arsenal, a club just down the road. He doesn't have to move. He doesn't have to change his lifestyle. It's a club that he supported back in the day. Uh, and a club that is of uh, is of a bigger even profile than Tottenham, where he was at. So, no, you know, I don't want this to happen. I don't think it will happen. Some reports uh, coming out of uh, Turkey. Uh, I don't know why this has got a link to Turkey, but Ekrem Konar, who is a Turkish journalist, uh, reported that Mikel Arteta has given this the green light. I mean, surely we can't be that stupid. Surely we can't be that silly. Surely... We can't be that naive. And throughout the summer, we've talked a lot about the transfer business. We've talked a lot about where Arsenal are going, the the, the strategy of what they're trying to implement. And, and yes, granted, I've said repeatedly that there's no guarantees that this strategy is going to come off, that it's going to uh, prove to be the right strategy, that it's going to see us close the gap on the teams that we are essentially chasing down. But this would not fit within what we're trying to do. You know, this signing a player of Serge Aurier's uh, profile, for me, just wouldn't be the right thing to do. And I'm just looking up, you know, he's 28 years old. He doesn't fit in that bracket of player that we're looking at. He doesn't have any more potential. He's not going to get any better than he has been at this point. He is, as I keep saying, an accident waiting to happen. And if Mikel Arteta was to give a green light to a deal like this, I would be shocked. Shocked, disappointed and frustrated because, as I say, I don't know that this transfer strategy we've implemented over the summer where we are buying potential, where we are buying players uh, with a view to them developing and the team growing as one. I don't know if that's going to work. We don't know if it's going to be enough to see us elevate uh, into the positions that we want to be in. But you can at least see there is a plan and it's a different plan from what we've done in years gone by. And clearly it hasn't worked in years gone by. Therefore, we're in a place where... We need to try something different. But this just falls outside of that remit, doesn't it? It falls completely outside of that idea, outside of that bracket. And it's not something I would like to see Arsenal do. Plus, right back is not a position we need to be strengthening in, is it? I mean, we have spent the entire summer trying to shift right backs. It took us till the last day to get Hector Bayer in out. We bought Tommy Yasu in. Yes, a lot of people are a little bit concerned about where Tommy Yasu fits into this. Is he really a natural right-back or is he a right-sided centre-back? And again, that is going to be dependent on how Mikel sets up the team moving forward. But this idea of bringing Serge Aurier to Arsenal is a crazy one. It's one I think his agents have put out there in order to kind of generate a little bit of interest. And, you know, obviously on the off chance, it, it leads Arsenal or entices Arsenal into doing something that would be great for them. Uh, and great for him, but nah, not for me, 
not for me. There are very few players over the years that I thought were good enough that if they were to leave Tottenham for us, you could kind of accept it and get on board with them. Sol Campbell, prime example of a player who was at the top of his game, came over to Arsenal. We were delighted to have him because he was that good, went on to an incredible level. Uh, but for me, no way, uh, no way with Serge Aurier. He's not in that bracket. He's not that kind of player. And I just want to, yes, we're talking about it on this podcast. Yes, I'm, I'm sort of expressing my frustration at the reports and how much I don't want this deal to happen. But be mindful, okay, that this is something that's obviously been put out in the press by Serge Aurier's representatives as they look to get him a new club and look to get him a new deal. So don't start going in on Mikel Arteta about this because we don't know that he has given this the green light. This is simply uh, paper talk, journo talk. It's come from Ekrem Konu, as I said. Um, and uh, yeah, so let's not uh, let's not have a complete and utter meltdown about it. But just to reiterate my stance, I am not at all on board with the idea of Arsenal signing Serge Aurier. He's not the man for us. I don't see why we would need him. I, I just it, it doesn't make sense from whatever way you look at it. It doesn't make sense. People say that he's better than Cedric. People say that he's better than Callum Chambers. I have seen quite a bit of that on Twitter, even from Arsenal fans over the last sort of 24 hours. Fair enough if that's your opinion. I'm not even sure that I disagree with that opinion. But what I will say is this. Why the hell did we go and sign uh, Tommy Asu if we were going to go and then pick up Serge Aurier on a free transfer? We were better off buying a striker or or another central midfielder with that money and then bringing in Serge Aurier on a free transfer. Because let's be honest, Tottenham will have known, wouldn't they? Serge Aurier would have known. Uh, a while about uh, a while ago that Tottenham were looking for right backs and Tottenham were uh, considering moving him on so it this just doesn't make sense for me uh, and I'm not I'm not interested in uh, in the idea of Serge Aurier coming to Arsenal I've got to be honest uh let's uh, let's go over to the chat box and see what you guys are saying about this um uh this situation with regards uh, to Serge Aurier um Don Saki says I hope it's not true, but if it is and they go ahead and sign him, Arteta and Edu should be fired on the spot. That tells you that they don't learn from their mistakes. Josh says, can't count how many times I've said, surely we can't be that stupid as an Arsenal fan. Uh, Matt G says, we only have 17 right backs. We're quite light in that area. <laughs> Love that. A big hello to Paul Nell, who joins us in the live chat. Uh, Wada Wu says that he will be used as a right wing back. And it's interesting you say that because Arsenal played in a behind closed doors friendly against Brentford yesterday and they played with a back three. Now, I don't know if that was because because Mikel Arteta wanted to give certain people minutes, get certain people up to speed and felt that that was the way to accommodate those particular players. Or if he's actually thinking about making a more permanent switch to that system. Remember, he played that a lot when he first came to the club. Not right at the beginning, but a little bit into his tenure, he shifted to that system. Then he shifted back. So it's not really clear what Mikel is, is wanting to do. And that's why, you know, I've heard a lot of Arsenal fans say to me, over the last year or so, well, we should sign this player and we should sign that player because Mikel Arteta wants to play a 4-3-3. And that is based purely on the assumption that that's how Manchester City play. And he saw that and he's taken from that and that's what he's going to look to mirror. Actually, we don't really know what Mikel Arteta wants to play because, as I said, we went from a 4-3-3. We went to a 4-2-3-1. We went to a 3 
uh, 4-3, if that's what you want to call it. We've we've constantly changed formations under Mikel Arteta. Is a switch to a back three going to be something he puts in place in the interim because of the way we've conceded goals at the start of the season, because we've looked very weak? Is he going to start bringing in right wing backs? Is that why they've kept hold of Ainsley Maitland-Niles? I, I don't know. It's, it's going to be interesting to see how that unfolds. We can only guess, uh, but I've learned very, uh, well, I learned very early in Mikel Arteta's tenure not to try and second guess too much what he's going to do with systems, personnel uh, and formations because it changes a lot. Um, Steve Stone says, this has to be paper talk. I can't see this. It would be the final nail in the coffin. If true, uh, KMA says, um, considering our penchant for COVID slash squad injuries, do you think we he would have cancelled his contract after informal talks, i.e. a gentleman's agreement already with Arteta behind the scenes? So KMA suggesting that maybe a conversation had already taken place between Arsenal and Serge Aurier, which may have uh, helped in the process of him getting his contract terminated at Spurs or at least agreeing to that. I can't say that that's definitely not the case. I hope it isn't. Uh, as I say, I'm not on board with this signing at all. But yeah, you, you can't say for sure that that isn't the case. But I, I don't think so. I don't think they would have bought in Takahiro Tomiyasu if if they were planning to do that. I really don't. And I don't think they would have kept hold of Ainsley Maitland-Niles the way they have if they were planning to do that. Remember, lots of you were having a go at me a few days ago when I said that Maitland-Niles doesn't want to play uh, as a wing-back necessarily, David Ornstein came out and said conveniently uh, after Maitland-Niles had thrown his toys out of the pram on social media that he will play in that position. So have Arsenal kept Maitland-Niles as a midfielder or have Arsenal kept Maitland-Niles as a wing-back? In which case, what the hell do you need Serge Aurier for? So, yeah, um, you know, lots to lots to kind of uh, analyse and lots to Lots to uh, keep our eyes on. Uh, Dean Diego says, uh, smash the likes if you don't want any Spurs rejects. <laughs> I love that. It's a good way of driving likes up, actually. So, yeah, make sure if you haven't done so already that you do uh, hit that like button. It really, really does help. The stream really does help the live shows. And if you're not subscribed to the channel already, what on earth are you waiting for? Hit that subscribe button. Doesn't cost a thing. And we'd love to have you. Also, if you want to go one further and support me to bring you more content by uh, becoming a member, you can do that by clicking on the join button under the video. Or if you're not watching via YouTube, you can click on the link in the description. While I'm on the subject of housekeeping, let's uh, remind you guys just quickly that this podcast is brought to you by manscaped.com. So for all your male grooming needs, head over to their website, check out the Lawnmower 4.0, fantastic piece of gear. Uh, it will keep you uh, nice and uh, fresh down there. Uh, it's really easy to use. The battery can last up to 90 minutes long uh, and you can stand to save yourself a fair chunk of money on your order. If you use our discount code, which is rolling across the bottom of the screen, it's 90min20 and you shall get 20% off of your order as well as free shipping. Check it out. Join one of over 2 million men globally who are currently manscaping. And I promise you, your partners will thank you. Snipe.genius says, Harry, I read this morning via report that Mikel is not responsible for the transfers coming in. Is this true or have you heard the same? I haven't heard that. Uh, I've got to be honest, I have read bits and pieces about it and and stuff over the kind of last couple of weeks during this transfer window, but they've never really come from any credible sources for me to sort of stand up and take it seriously. I don't think that Mikel Arteta as manager, which he obviously is now, 
um, will be too detached from the recruitment process. I think he'll be, in fact, I think he'll be very involved and I think he'll be driving it in a lot of ways. I think the Edu is in a position to kind of have the final say, uh, given his role. And I think Edu and him, you know, whether it's right or wrong, are singing from the same hymn sheet uh, a lot of the time. There have been a couple of disagreements we've been kind of uh, notified of. If you remember, uh, one wanted Awa, one wanted Partey, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, I, I don't imagine that Mikel Arteta is too detached from the the recruitment process. In fact, I think he's probably driving a lot of it. So I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not believing that report necessarily, but obviously, um, for that to come out, sometimes there's no smoke without fire, right? Uh, right, let's uh, let's continue uh, through the chat uh, just a little bit, and then we will take uh, some of we will take some of uh, your questions a little bit later on. Uh, lots of you talking about Mikel Arteta and David Moyes. Don Saki says, hi, Harry. This is something I've observed from Arteta. His traits are more of David Moyes rather than Pep Guardiola. Yeah, and you know what? Maybe the reason he worked so well with Pep Guardiola is because there are differences in their styles and there are things that Mikel Arteta looks out for that maybe Pep Guardiola doesn't and vice versa. And they probably complemented uh, each other really, really well. Um, you know, going out and doing it, on your own, leaving the nest and flying solo, as I put it yesterday, is a very, very different thing. I think Mikel Arteta is obviously struggling at this moment in time. I think, as I keep on saying, there have been factors outside of his control that have made his job harder. But, you know, a lot of it is on him as well. And um, yeah, if he was getting the results that David Moyes has been getting uh, this season and last season, I don't think anybody would be complaining half as much, although we are Arsenal fans, so they would still be Obviously, some complaints, wouldn't there? Uh, right. Let me just uh, let me bring you guys a brief roundup on how some of our players got on uh, during international duty last night. And then we'll take some of your questions to wrap up this edition of the podcast. So, uh, as I told you yesterday, Mohamed Onneni went off injured, didn't he, during Arsenal's behind closed doors friendly win over Brentford. As a result, he will not be participating in the games for Egypt. However, we are told by Chris Wheatley that this injury to Mohamed Elneny is not a serious one, which is good news because we're short in midfield, because Thomas Partey is going to come back and we don't know how fit he's going to be. And because Shaka suspended, he's now got COVID as well. And also, if you're thinking about it from another perspective, a totally different perspective, if you wanted to move Mohamed Elneny on, interest from Turkey uh, is said to be quite strong and obviously their transfer window remains open, then, you know, it's, it's better that he's fit. It makes it easier to do the deal. So, yeah, not a serious injury with Mohamed Elneny. So that's the update on that. Just before I move on, by the way, sorry, I, I know I'm jumping back and forward a little bit, but. I wanted to answer a quick question that I'd had on Twitter a few times actually yesterday when these Serge Aurier reports started doing the rounds. I was asked, how is it that we can sign Serge Aurier given the transfer window is closed? And I just wanted to, for some of you that maybe aren't as familiar with how the system works, Serge Aurier's contract with Tottenham was terminated by mutual consent. He had another year to run, but the two parties got together and decided actually the best thing would be for Aurier uh, to leave now and for that contract to be terminated, which therefore makes Serge Aurier a free agent. Now, you can sign free agents at any time. You can buy them and register them or you 
wrong term, you can bring them in and register them because you're not buying them. It's not a transfer between two clubs. You're picking up a player who is a free agent and the rules uh, are different for that. Um, yeah, so it's, it's not the same. That's why that can be done outside of the transfer window. Right, let's get back to how some of our players did on international duty. Bern Leno uh, kept a clean sheet for Germany uh, in their 2-0 win over Liechtenstein. Daniel Ballard, our young defender who is currently on loan at Millwall in the Championship, scored his first senior goal for Northern Ireland versus Lithuania. And I tell you what, it meant the world to him. If you see how he responded, it was great to see. Uh, so well done to Daniel Ballard. Bukayo Saka was a late sub for England uh, during their win over Hungary in Budapest, a game that was again overshadowed by horrible scenes of racism and uh, things being thrown onto the pitch. It was horrible. Um, and, and, you know, we've talked about this at length in previous episodes. Until FIFA, UEFA, the governing bodies really take a hard line on this. And by that, I mean, kick teams out of competitions, force them to play in empty stadiums for longer periods of time than we've currently seen. Hit them, their FAs, with fines that are significant fines that are going to put a real dent in their operating budget, not fines of £12.79, uh, which I saw joked about on Twitter. You know, it's got to be, the, the deterrent has to be a bigger punishment. And also, I think that those FAs need to be tasked with the responsibility of policing that in some way. You know, they've got cameras in the stadiums. They should have people on watch and they need to be at least showing that they're dealing with it because they don't. You know, we never hear anything from it. The classic line is, um, you know, throw it back at England and say, well, get your own house in order. Gareth Southgate said that we need to get our own house in order. And we do. There is a problem with it here as well. Just because it's not as obvious sometimes doesn't mean that that problem doesn't exist. And it, it needs to be tackled and it needs to be dealt with. But there are certain countries where we see this pretty much every time anybody with black players goes and plays there. And as I said, UEFA, FIFA, the governing bodies, the powers that be are not doing enough to stamp this out because, in my opinion, the punishments are not substantial enough. Therefore, they're not acting as enough of a deterrent. Moving on, uh, Sambi Lakonga. Congratulations to him. He made his international, senior international debut for Belgium versus Estonia. Belgium won by five goals to two. He came on as a second half substitute, replacing Eden Hazard. And I'm delighted for Sambi Lakonga because he's a player that I think has been a bit of a bright spark in what's been a really difficult start to the season for Arsenal. He looks composed. He looks calm. He looks very, very mature mature way beyond his years, which is great to see. And I'm delighted for him that he finally got that first senior appearance. So congratulations uh, to Albert Sambi Lokonga. And I look forward to seeing him uh, marshal Arsenal and then in the future Belgium's midfield more regularly as well. Uh, so yeah, big shout out to Sambi Lokonga. Delighted for him. Really, really am. Uh, William Saliba, who's of course currently on loan at Marseille. He played 90 minutes for the French under-21s uh, during their 3-0 win over North Macedonia. Carl Hein, our young goalkeeper, he played for Estonia in that game I just mentioned where they were heavily beaten by Belgium. Difficult night for Carl Hein. But the fact that he's playing at this level is fantastic because he's come a little bit out of nowhere, hasn't he? I know a lot of people were talking about Oconquo over the summer and how he might be ready to step it up. We were talking about the new contract that he was given. And actually, Carl Hein uh, looks quite well, to be fair. 
Uh, I mentioned, uh, I've got in my notes to talk about the, the back three and the idea of Mikel maybe taking that forward. Uh, and that, that could be something that we see. So I'm not going to touch on that again. Just wanted to give a little shout out to Charlie Patino, who is a very exciting young talent at the Arsenal Football Club. And the more I've read uh, from yesterday's game, we haven't seen it, obviously, but the more, um, the more I've seen it, uh, or sorry, the more I've read about it, the more I've heard about it, the more apparent it was that he is really, really impressing people at the football club. And we look forward to seeing him integrated into the first team squad that little bit more. Another bit of news regarding Shkodran Mustafi. He's returned to La Liga, only it's not with one of the big boys. Shkodran Mustafi has joined Levante on a free transfer, returning back to Spain. Maybe a nicer lifestyle, I guess, but uh, it's a real step down from the likes of Arsenal and even Schalke, uh, with whom he struggled at the back end of last season. So Shkoran Mustafi is a Levante player. Right, let's get some of your questions in the chat before we wrap it up. We'll go for another 10 15 minutes or so so get as many of those in the chat box as you possibly can let's give you guys another little reminder to make sure that if you haven't done so already you hit that like button uh let's see where we are at uh hold on a second hold on a second uh 71 likes on the board but there's over 220 of you watching so we should be able to get that up to 100 at the very least. So please do hit the like button, subscribe to the channel if you are new. And if you want to become a member, you can do so. Make sure you check out manscaped.com too. Uh, right, let's get some of those questions. Just going uh, back to um, back to the comments box. Uh, Snipe.genius says, if, if you're black, you guys know certain places in the world like Hungary are a problem with racism. It's horrible to say, but it's the truth. And you know what? It's horrible to say that because it's such a horrible situation. And I, and I completely agree with you. There are certain places that you know are going to, those problems are going to arise. And we all know what those countries are. And I don't want to start pointing fingers at certain nations because, as I said before, I don't think it's perfect here. I think we're a lot better at at kind of making out that we're doing a lot about it. But actually, there's still a real undercurrent that often surfaces itself again and, and causes people problems and distress. And it's just not on. I completely agree with you, though. There are countries that, you know, it's going to happen. We've seen it with England games over the years. Um, you know, we've seen it in foreign leagues. It, it's not acceptable. But and, and and while what you're saying is true, it's a really sad place to be in, isn't it? And, and that's why, for me, more needs to be done uh, from the people right at the top of the game, who have the power to kick some of these teams out, who have the power to enforce long bans uh, in terms of fans being uh, allowed in the stadium. There is so much more they could be doing than they are currently doing. And that's the big frustration. I don't think you're ever going to eradicate it completely because I think there are too many idiots in the world and too many people whose minds are influenced by total and utter bullshit. Just like in the Arsenal world, there's a lot of People, in my opinion, and people won't like me saying this, but in my opinion, there are a lot of Arsenal fans whose opinions are based not on their own, not because they've taken bits and pieces from their favourite podcasts or from their favourite pundits or from their favourite writers. But when I hear people hitting me back with phrases that I know somebody else has come out with, I know somebody else has made up, I just think to myself, do you not have a mind of your own to kind of you know, to come to your own conclusions. And that's the same, you know, with, with racism. It's, it's something that 
is 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 ingrained in culture unfortunately in a lot of cultures in a lot of parts of the world and um you know i just think that we got to do more to to deal with it and we've got to not be so dismissive of it you know people saying you know oh yeah but it, it's not right in england and we need to get our house in order yeah it's true but that shouldn't be the response to what we saw last night it's got to be you know, it's got to be condemned. It's got to be dealt with with the strongest possible action. And that should be done when it happens here as well. Right. Uh, let's uh, see what else we've got. Uh, just a few more comments on that. Johan says, if Hungary can't control their fans, they should be punished accordingly with no fans allowed in the stadium. That's the only way they'll learn. Agreed. Uh, Jakobus says, do you think these games should be moved to other venues instead of punishing the teams? Yeah, that's a that's another option. Anything that denies those fans getting opportunity because remember not every hungarian is a racist yeah not every person in that stadium was a racist and and why should a whole nation um you know have to not see their team play or whatever because of of a few idiots and and i you know i know that sounds a bit hypocritical because i've just said you should kick them out of the competition but it's i I do have i say that but i also do have sympathy for the other side of it um because you know because it i'm you know i'm from a country or i originate from a country where i have heard racist stuff said in the crowd when i've been at a football match um not by everyone maybe by two or three idiots but it is there but i also know that the rest of the stadium isn't automatically racist because of two, three idiots. So it's a hard balance to find. But I think if you if you set that precedent by putting in harsh punishments, then what you quite often do is you put yourselves in a position where it then infuriates those who have been affected and haven't actually done anything wrong. And they'll be more active in then trying to police it. I'm not saying policing it by going up and confronting a group of ultras and having a fight, but they'll be more open to reporting it um, and making sure that it's dealt with properly and making sure those people are dealt with so that the consequences don't come and uh, bite them in the arse again. Right, let's go back to some of your questions. Uh, we'll change the subject a little bit, but thank you to Snipe Dot, um, who says, big up Harry for speaking on this. Uh, no, it's, it's got to be spoken about and anyone with any platform, even if it's five people you know i think has a responsibility to put that message out alex says if we spent over 140 million pounds does that mean we won't be spending in january possible loan deals maybe i think alex that and and we're taking it back to arsenal now and we're talking about the transfer windows i think for me when it comes to when it comes to the january window january windows shouldn't be part of your plan in my opinion january windows should be the window that you turn to in the case of an emergency. So in the case where there are going to be a lot of free agents this summer, which this summer coming, which we know is going to be the case, January will be an opportunity to sign some of those players up on pre-contract agreements, et cetera, et cetera. And clubs may use it to do that. But ultimately, those transfers will be taking place in the summer. So for me, as I say, January should always be a, a plan B. It should always be something that you... The January window should be something that you dive into if you're in need at that point. But I think your your main window is the summer. I think your squad should be assembled by the summer. If you get to January and you see you haven't got a right back because you've been hit by injury, someone's out of form, then you go in there and you bring in that player that you need and you, you use it to boost. But it shouldn't be 
part of your plans at the start of the season, in my personal opinion. Um, if an opportunity comes along, an opportunity that you feel will strengthen your team, you take it. But I'm not like I don't sit here and, and worry about what we might or might not do in January because I'll only know. I think if we need to do something in January, closer to the time. So for me, it's not about, right, the summer window's just closed. Now let's turn our attention to what we're going to do in January. I think you have to play it by ear when it comes to the January window and see what happens. Uh, let's take some more of uh, your questions. Uh, Johan says, Harry, if Arsenal lose to Norwich with a full strength squad, no excuses. Do you believe Arsenal will pull the trigger and sack Arteta? I don't. Um that's not to say that I wouldn't say he deserves it, but I'm, I'd be surprised if Arsenal sacked Mikel Arteta before Christmas, given, as I've said before, the investment. And again, I want to reiterate this, OK? I, it's sad that I have to keep doing this, but I went on another channel yesterday and I had people in the chat box telling me that I'd said I'd give him Mikel Arteta till Christmas. I never said that. I said, I think the club will. I think the club will give him till Christmas. And so we need to get behind him and back him. And when we're in the stadium next Saturday against Norwich City, we need to try and lift those players. We need to try and lift that group because the confidence is currently on the floor. And as fans, as supporters, that is part of our duty, I think. I know a lot of people would disagree. You know, yes, there's nothing wrong at the end of the game of expressing your views if Arsenal haven't performed. But to be negative and to be causing a toxic atmosphere during the 90 minutes is not helpful to anyone. Um, so in answer to your question, I've gone around the house a bit, but do I think they'll pull the trigger on Mikel Arteta if we do not beat Norwich? I don't think they will. That's not to say that they shouldn't, though. Uh, TP says, Harry, do you see Arteta fielded a more consistent lineup going forward since we have no Europe this season? I'd like to see a more consistent back four or five along with the midfield and attack. Yeah, I think for me, you know, I, I think consistency is key, but I think consistency is more key uh, in the defensive positions. And I think that now that we've got players back, I think you, you're going to see Mikel Arteta persist with that Ben White-Gabriel combination. I think that would have been the combination in his mind when he started the season. Unfortunately, for one reason or another, that's not been able to happen so far. But I think he will be a little bit more consistent. We know that Kieran Tierney is a, a mainstay in the team. I think Tommy Asu will come in in the right-back position uh, as well. And then you, you move further forward and then you can, you know, you can pick Odegaard for a certain opponent. You can pick Emil Smith-Rowe for another. You can pick Pepe one week and Saka another. You can play Aubameyang maybe away from home where you're going to play on the break a bit more and Lacazette at home when you expect teams to park the bus and you need him to hold the ball up. So I think there are different options that you can rotate around in the attacking positions. And it's great to have those options because it makes us uh, a little bit less predictable. It gives us another dynamic when we need it. But I agree that the defensive positions should be a little bit more consistent. And I think a lot's been done about um, or a lot's been said about how Mikel Arteta's constantly changed the team. And it was one of the things I used to complain about with Unai Emery. But I think in Mikel Arteta's case, he's been in a place where he's had to do it more often than not. It's not been largely based on his kind of view. It's been a lot of the time, you know, we've had players that have been on the edge. How many times last season was Emil Smith-Rowe at a point where he was right on the cusp of getting an injury where the doctors had advised that he wasn't fit enough to start the game. And then we had to leave him out from fear of him breaking down for a longer period of time. And then we'd bring players back and then we'd be worried about them breaking down again. And it was always, 
there was always something. It feels like there's always something to contend with at Arsenal, more so than at some of the other clubs. And, and I don't know if that's because I pay more attention to Arsenal, because I'm ingrained in Arsenal, because it's a it's my job, because it's what I do, and I'm always focused on it. I, I don't know. Is it me? Am I just being biased because we pay more attention to Arsenal? Or does it feel like we have more of these issues, more injuries, more COVID cases, more uh, off-the-pitch issues, such as, you know, what Aubameyang went through last season and then the malaria? And it just feels like we always have something to contend with outside of the actual football pitch, which makes our jobs that little bit harder. I don't know. We also have to contend with pundits talking absolute nonsense about our club as well uh, on a weekly basis and looking to stick the knife in wherever possible. But... All part of being the Arsenal, I suppose. Right, we are going to leave it there. Uh, I'm going to leave it there. And uh, I'm not going to be doing an, a second podcast today. It's Friday. Uh, so I am going to take some much needed and deserved time off, uh, chill out. And we will be back with an episode tomorrow, Saturday morning. We'll be bringing you a live episode and then we'll be back again on Sunday with some more Arsenal content. Until then, take care of yourselves, stay safe, and I'll catch you all very, very soon. Ciao. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.